Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly. Well, good morning, good morning. It is Monday, October the 3rd. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you um, so much for your prayers and um, and all of your uh, just delightful messages uh, over the last week. Thank you to Paul Perot for his um, just excellent, excellent uh, leadership here on the program. So, Paul, thank you. Oh, you're um, quite welcome. Appreciate it. Hey, I'm doing well, um, so thanks so much for um, for your prayers. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day is Matthew 5, verses 9 and 10, so you're growing the faith verses of the day. Um, remember, we are working our way through the Beatitudes now, and so we arrive today at this Beatitude. So again, we are in the Sermon on the Mount of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as recorded in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. Um, This is a portion of that sermon called the Beatitudes. And this Beatitude says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, When we talk about peace and we talk about peacemaking and we talk about righteousness and we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we are certainly talking about words and phrases and concepts that are completely foreign to a secular mind. And so these are clearly spiritual um, spiritual things. Jesus is talking to those who are of a spiritual mindset in the spirit of, you know, let those who have ears hear. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. What does it mean to be a child of God, and how does one become a child of God? Well, we do so um, through adoption, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made for us upon the cross. I mean, that is the saving grace of God. To seek peace where there is no peace and to be people who proclaim peace where no peace has been made um, is foolishness. And we do live in a world where there is great violence, um, human being toward human being, where there are those who are um, continuing to craft and think of evil, new ways of uh, of committing evil all day long. So let us be um, quite the contrary to that. Let us be people who pursue peace and who are makers of peace, people who sow peace. Uh, That would be uh, the words of James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter to us. And then blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Not, Not just persecuted, you know, in generalities, but persecuted precisely because of the name of Jesus. Is that you today? Are you experiencing some level of Um, of persecution because you are a Christian. Well, Jesus is assuring you today that you're blessed. It may not feel like a blessing, but you're blessed. Um, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, When we talk about the primary responsibility of Christians in the culture, the primary responsibility is to bear positive public witness to the reality of the gospel Uh, of Jesus Christ. That is our primary responsibility. That is why we are. We're here to glorify God, and we are here to 
um, testify to the reality of his saving grace in Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the, the responsibility of Christian adults in terms of transmitting the faith once delivered to the next generation, we're talking about parenting and grandparenting and God parenting might be another way of thinking about that. You and I have responsibility Regardless of whether or not we've got, you know, like genetic progeny, we have responsibility as people of faith to transmit the faith one generation to the next, to actually be people who proclaim the good news of the gospel um, in word and in deed. Part of the explicit responsibility of parents for children um, is recorded in the Shema. Here you would be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's also repeated in Deuteronomy 11 and, and elsewhere. Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your strength. Take to heart these words I have given you today. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're away, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them down. Tie them around your wrist. Wear them as a as a headband, as a reminder to yourself and others. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Why? So that you will remember them when you enter and when you leave, when your children walk in and out of the door, walk in and out of the gate, that you would remind them over and over and over and over and over again of the reality uh, of the goodness and the greatness of God. In Deuteronomy 4, this instruction to parents, watch out, be careful, never forget um, what you have seen. Do not let uh, the memories escape from your mind as long as you live. Be sure to pass them on to your children and to your grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai where he told us to summon the people and, and personally instruct them. Learn. Fear, live long, teach your children to fear me also. Proverbs 22, 6, maybe the, one of the most well-known instructions to parents about children, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have instruction in, um, in, in Matthew, Matthew's gospel from Jesus, the 18th chapter of Matthew. Jesus says, anybody who welcomes a little child on my behalf is welcoming me, but If you cause one of these little ones who trust me to fall into sin, it'd be better for you if you had a large millstone tied around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. Oh, my goodness. All right, we're going to talk about raising up children in the way they should go. We're going to talk about child discipleship and why it matters and how it's the primary responsibility of us as parents and grandparents. Dave Buring joins us next from LionShare. is back from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. How do I disciple the children in my life? Dave, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Good to hear you. Good, good morning. Great. It's great. So it's great to have you here. Talk with us about um, why we have a responsibility to disciple our children and grandchildren, and then let's get into how we do that. Yeah, well, I think the scriptures that you read made it very, very clear that it's a priority in the heart of God, that the way that we pass things on that God's taught us is in a relational context with our kids. And uh, it's something that oftentimes we default, I think, as parents, those of us that follow Jesus, because, hey, there's Sunday school, and they do all that. And uh, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I, when I was serving as a missionary with Youth of the Mission, part of my role was as a youth pastor for about 60 to 70 high school kids. And uh, one day, you know, Cheryl and I got married. We went away on our honeymoon. And just before we left, 
one of the parents came and said, no, you can't go. Who's, who's going to pour into our kids? You know, we were just gone for like three, four weeks. And I said, well, let's take a time out here and remember, like, I'm a vitamin C tablet to your children. The primary responsibility is yours. That's what the Bible teaches us. So I think sometimes we subtly default and let other people do the discipling of our children when it really comes back to us as parents, as grandparents, and those that God puts in the lives of a child. When you think about um, formation, particularly spiritual formation, there are a lot of forces in the culture that have they just have free access to our kids like all the time. And so when we think about the way that popular opinion forms mm-hmm. what our kids believe, think, or feel or um, digital media that just has such direct access, not only to their eyes and their minds, but into their hearts. Talk with mm-hmm. us about how intentional we need to be if we are going to form our kids, not in the spirit of this age, but, uh, you know, but in the spirit of the living God. Yeah. And I think it's a, there's a, uh, an article that was out in The Atlantic, a guy by the name of Peter Wiener, who quotes Alan Jacobs, who is a professor of humanities at Baylor, and he said this, culture catechizes, in other words, it instructs, trains, and shapes. If if people are getting one kind of catechesis for a half an hour per week, let's say Sunday morning, or maybe an hour in Sunday school, and another for dozens of hours per week, so think of you know kids' impact of stuff they see online and their tablets, which he says, which one do you think will win out? And then he makes a statement. He said, churches have barely better than a snowball's chance in hell of shaping people's lives. And I think it's one of the things, Carmen, that we often don't stop to think about is that comparison of how much, if we can just play on the word discipleship is happening in our children's lives from the world around us. And the way that attitudes, like, like, you know, my grandchildren, so I have four grandkids between the ages of two and eight. And it's interesting because I can tell that they have watched something on television or because of the older ones being in school and interacting with kids, I can tell their reactions to things based on what they've watched or who they've been with because it's different than where it has been. And I think one of the things we have to realize is there is the shaping of other people, there's the shaping of media, there's advertising, there's all kinds of influences that go around. But but are we pausing to ask the question, am I deliberately pouring more of the things of God into my children as compared to the way the world is shaping them? Or do I pause when the world's trying to shape them and I take out the scriptures and I say, hey, so look. Here's what, this is what's being said out there. It's kind of a popular thing now, but let's look at what Jesus says about this. And I think that's kind of where rubber meets the road. So if you're um, wondering right now, how could I even evaluate, you know, how I'm doing on this? Um, How could I evaluate whether or not I am actually discipling my children and grandchildren versus just, um, you know, uh, assuming that, I don't know, culture, education, media, Everybody is my partner in discipling my kid. That that is just not true in the culture today. In fact, um, the culture, our system of education, um, digital media, even their peers are often seeking to lead our children and our grandchildren in a way that's quite contrary to uh, to the gospel. And so we have to be very, very intentional. We're going to continue our conversation with Dave Buring in just a moment about intentional child discipleship. What does it look like? To disciple your kids and your grandkids, we're going to take a close look at the character of Samuel. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Talking with Dave Buring from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. One of the things um, I'm going to invite Dave to talk about today is a discipleship journey kids companion to the adult discipleship journey that's offered by Lion Share. Um, so, Dave, talk about, I want you to talk about, you know, again, intentional child discipleship, intentional grandchild discipleship. I want you to talk about Samuel, but I also want you to talk about this new resource. ADJ Kids. Okay. Yeah, I think Samuel gives us a a good story in the scriptures of how God encounters children and how an adult can respond to that. Let let me just read this uh, out of 1 Samuel 3. It says, Now the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. This is encouraging to me, by the way, Carmen, that it can take us as adults a little time sometimes to dial in with what God's doing, even with our kids. But he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And so I think this gives us a great picture. And again, I think the encouragement that sometimes as parents or grandparents or those adults around children that we have an opportunity to pour into, sometimes we can miss it. We can be a little slow catching it. And yet God kept coming back here to Samuel and Eli. And I think it's something that we can recognize that adults play a, a really important role in pointing children to God and to hear from God. Uh, I like what Eli did here. Once he kind of saw what was going on, he encouraged Samuel to listen, to pay attention. He instructed him, now, if this happens, respond in this way. And and I think as parents, as grandparents, it's an important thing that we, you know, ask the Lord to help us see children as God sees them. Because sometimes they can feel like a nuisance and busy and we're trying to get this done and they're in the way. And yet Jesus took them in his arms placed his hands on them, blessed them. He had time for them individually. 
We also need, like Jesus, to meet children where they're at. It's like it says children like to come to Jesus. And, and we know that children don't, aren't always attracted to every adult, right? So there was something about Jesus that was welcoming, that was inviting. And Jesus used that to build relationship with those children. And then I think, you know, a really big one, which is really practical, is just living our lives in such a way that we are an example of what life looks like, of what it means to follow Jesus. I think those are some key pieces for parents, grandparents, and others to look at. So one of the things I love about the story of of Samuel, and I want to highlight here, if there are people listening and you're saying to yourself, well, I failed. Um, my kids are not um, mm-hmm. following mm-hmm. the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, here's what I want to say to you. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were total scoundrels. Um, Samuel is is like a godchild. Um, Samuel's mom is Hannah, um, and Hannah was absolutely thoroughly committed to having her son, um, you know, be one who would honor the Lord. I mean, it, it, Samuel comes as a gift. And so you need to read the whole story of Samuel, if you're not familiar with it, to understand just what's going on here. It's not just um, parents, like genetic parents and genetic grandparents. It's also those who are people of faith, like Eli, who would impress upon a child outside of their own um, outside of their own family and encourage them in the things of the faith. You know, the most influential thing in the life of a child in terms of discipleship uh, outside of their parents, the, you know, your mom and your dad, is one influential adult Christian. One. Yes. Yeah. And so be that person in a kid's life today. Talk with us um, about this new resource available at LionShare that really is for kids, a discipleship journey kids. Yeah, thanks, uh, Carmen. It's um, one of the things that happened is when Discipleship Journey came out in 2004, I had parents and children's pastors and Sunday school teachers say to me, Dave, so when are you going to do this for kids? And I said to them, well, if I'm really honest, I need somebody that this is their primary calling, like as a children's pastor, people who minister to kids, who would be willing to come alongside of me? Well, that didn't happen for about 11, 12 years. And then in 2016, a gal by the name of Lori Jarvis from Ohio came to me and said, I would love to help you do this. And so we've worked on this over the last five, six years. And um, just recently, in the last two months here, we had the release of Discipleship Journey for Kids. And what it is, it, it allows parents to take Discipleship Journey as they're walking through it, and they can walk through it with their children. There's a Um, a connect where we take one key truth from each lesson and simplify it for children. Its its target is six to 10-year-olds, but, you know, five-year-olds have gone through it. We've even used it with 11 and 12-year-olds. There's wonderful animation. We created two characters, uh, Adi and Jay, who are adopted children, um, and they have a relationship with each other, and they have adventures that point children to Jesus. They're a lot of fun. There's some laughter and humor in it. And so there's an animation piece. There's a, a workbook piece. There's a little take-home tool um, that helps, you know, whether it's, it's in Sunday school and they bring this tool home or, or, or if it's a parent or a grandparent setting it maybe on the child's bedside stand that allows them to apply what it is they've learned. That's often the missing piece. There can be head knowledge, but how does this apply? And so imagine having a card there that talks about honoring people, because that was the lesson for the weekend. All week, 
they're being reminded every day as they go to bed, okay, let's talk about how did you do in honoring people today? Oh, that's awesome. How about tomorrow? Who do you get to be with? And and help make that thing live. We also have a, a, a parent prompt on our LionShare app that, you know, if it's something that's used in Sunday school, that a parent in 75 seconds or give or take can hear the story of AD and J that day, and then there's a practical application to help parents apply this in their kids' lives. And there's a great facilitator's guide, but if, if you go to our website, lionshare.org, and click on resources, you'll see a discipleship journey, kids. It's something, Carmen, I'm really excited about because I think it's a way to help parents and churches pour the ways of God into kids. And if you're saying to yourself, I've never been intentionally discipled, I don't know what it would look like for me to intentionally disciple a child because I've never experienced that myself, um, let me invite you into a discipleship journey. There's an adult version, right? And so this is something that um, I encourage every believer to um, engage in. It doesn't matter what age or stage of life you're in. Um, discipleship is important at every age and stage of life. We are lifelong learners as disciples of Jesus. And so draw unto the Lord. He will draw near to you. A discipleship journey um, is wonderful for adults. And now there is this version for kids as well. So check it all out at lionshare.org. Dave, um, as always, thank you so much for your encouragement. Thank you. Have a great day today. Yeah, you as well. The character and the ways of God. What, What are they? What are they? What are some of your favorite stories about the character and the ways of God? How could you share those stories today with someone else and let that be your positive public witness? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're going to hear upwards from Max Lucado. All right, sometimes I feel like a public service announcement is in order. So for those of you who eat fancy cheese, brie and camembert, all brie and camembert cheeses sold nationwide in the United States and Mexico have been recalled. So I don't know, just eat some happy cheese from Wisconsin, because I don't think that brie and camembert are coming from Wisconsin. There you go. That's my, uh, mm -hmm. that's uh, that's what I have for you this morning. Um, All right, uh, members of the U.S. Congress in both parties are experiencing what the New York Times describes as a surge in threats. Violent political speech is increasing, um, and it is then morphing into in-person intimidation. Senator Susan Collins, Republican from Maine, uh, she had a storm window smashed in at her home. She told the New York Times, I would not be surprised if a senator or a member of the House were killed. What started with abusive phone calls is now translating into active threats of violence and real violence. So um, the Times is chronicling the fear among members of, um, of both the Senate and the House. Uh, here are the numbers from the U.S. Capitol Police. They say that threats against members of Congress in both houses increased by 144% between the first year of um, President Trump's term and the first year of President Biden's term. So in a four-year window... Threats against members of Congress increased 144%. These are threats of real violence. In the first three months of this year, 2022, the Capitol Police opened more than 1,800 investigations into active threats against members of Congress. When you think about um, what is going on in terms of the fallout of, let's say, the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade, 
the fallout in terms of the response that people have to um, the events of January 6th and the now more than 800 people who have been charged with criminal offenses related to January 6th. When you think about um, the the political rhetoric that you hear, the language that is used, um, and when you think about what is facing us as a nation, it is uh, imperative that we as Christians embrace peace that we be people who sow peace, that we be people who make peace. Back to today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day from Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the peacemakers. How is it that you are making peace today? Um, summer, summer vacation is over for the U.S. Supreme Court. Today actually marks the first day of the 2022-2023 Supreme Court session. They're going to return um, with a newly installed justice, Katanji Brown-Jackson, and they're going to hear cases concerning election laws, immigration, affirmative action, and college admissions, and more, helping us underpack, uh, un, uh, underpack, how about unpack and understand, underpack, unpack and understand what's going on. We're going to talk with Dr. Adam Carrington next from Hillsdale College. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Dr. Adam Carrington is back from Hillsdale College. You can follow him on Twitter at Carrington AM. Adam, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Well, I'm well. I coined a new term. Yeah. Instead of instead of helping us unpack and understand, uh, I said you were going to join us to underpack. I don't really know what underpacking is, but if we could underpack, that would help. I, I generally overpack, and so I feel like underpacking would be a good thing today. I tend to underpack, and that's just because uh-huh. absent-minded professor, I forget things that are essential. I remember my books, and I forget my toothbrush. Mm. Hmm. Well, toothbrushes are much easier to come by than good books, so there you go. Okay, let's talk about a packed agenda for the Supreme Court. Um, they're going to start a new session, uh, and there's going to be a new justice on the court. So, you know, tell us what's uh, maybe what's on their agenda and tell us a little bit about Katanji Brown Jackson for those who, you know, slept since since uh, since she was um, uh, confirmed. Yeah, you could have a Rip Van Winkle story about someone who, who slept through the, the confirmation. Yes. And, and Jackson is uh, is a historic appointment to the court. The first African-American woman, uh, the third African-American, but the third African, but the first African-American woman. Um, has a you know a, a very uh, inspiring backstory, and will what's interesting is we really don't know exactly how she's going to be ruling. People make assumptions because J- President Biden appointed her and and other factors. But I always find it interesting that once justices get on the court, there no one justice is exactly like the others, and to place them as if they're just carbon copies is a mistake. And so I'm going to be very interested to see how her own distinctive voice develops among the justices once she once she gets going. But as you said, the court itself starts today, and hard to beat last term, that should be said, uh, can't really get bigger than the overturning of Roe v. Wade or even the big Second Amendment case and some of the religious liberty cases that came out. But there's a number of cases we could talk about uh, there is another religious liberty case that I think is going to be the direct follow-up to Masterpiece Cake Shop about uh, um, religious liberty related to uh, LGBTQ issues. Um, you've got an important election law issue that 
uh, will, I think, address some of the issues people had in relation to changing election laws during the 2020 election, what, what that might mean. Uh, and probably the biggest case that we're going to have, I mean, we'll have an immigration case that I think is going to be pretty big too, but is two cases coming out of Harvard and the University of North Carolina about the future of affirmative action, where uh, those colleges' use of, of race as a factor in determining admissions or giving preference to certain people for admissions is going to be challenged both based on the law and based on the Constitution. And there is a, a serious chance that the, the court could declare that um, racial preferences in any institution that receives government money or that is a public institution could be declared unconstitutional. So if, if you look at these really fundamental questions that Americans have been asking their whole history will be up. We'll be asking questions about liberty with the religion cases. What is liberty? What are the limits of it? Questions of consent, I think, with the election law cases. How does the consent of the governed work along with the rule of law? And then this affirmative action case, you're going to see, I think, some very uh, deep uh, and hard questions asked about how do we realize the principle of equality and equality before the law, given our, our history, but also given that commitment to equality that goes back to our Declaration of Independence. So while last term was really big, lots of, of big cases this term as well. So the word equality um, is, I think, one that um, is going to be highlighted in the conversation, because the, I think the cultural conversation has moved, has shifted from a conversation about equality, where I would say, you know, every individual or group of people is given, you know, the same resources, equal access, opportunities, those kinds of things, to a conversation or the use of the word equity. And I think equity, um, when it is used in, you know, in the, in the contemporary conversation today, you know, acknowledges that, hey, people have different circumstances, they have different backstories, um, and so some people need more resources than other people, more opportunities than other people, in order to reach, quote-unquote, equal or equitable outcomes. And I I think, Adam, that the conversation in the culture is, um, at least some people are having an equality conversation, other people are having an equity conversation, and I would even point to... Um, what the vice president of the United States said in just in the last day in relationship to um, how federal um, how federal resources are going to be deployed in the aftermath of Hurricane uh, Ian in Florida. She came right out and said that, you know, the people who are going to be you know put at the front of the line for resources are people who have you know historically been at, quote unquote, the back of the line. Like she she thinks it's there's going to be um, racial profiling in terms of who gets help following Hurricane Ian. Um, and so I think that the conversation about affirmative action or equality has changed over the course of time. And now we're hearing much more about equity or somehow the promise of equal outcomes. Can you address that at all? Right. And I think two things to think about with that. One is Americans have always been committed to a understanding of equality that was consummate and worked with liberty. The idea that we are not going to put um, legal and and other like that barriers to your own achievement. 
and in fact, we're going to try to encourage your, your achievement, but that uh, we were created uh, differently, that there are different abilities, different capacities, uh, and those aren't divided, just to be very clear, by race or, or anything like that. Just different human beings have different abilities across the different other ways that, that uh, across the other differences of, of humanity. Um, but that uh, what what we uh, were committed to protecting is your equal right to what is yours. So whether you have more or less property, whether you have more or less uh, uh, achievement in education, you have every bit of a right to what you achieve as everyone else, and we don't have a right to put um, uh, 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 arbitrary barriers to that. Um, but I think there's been a movement underneath what you said to intellectually to claim that almost all differences among human beings are artificial and imposed by society, rather than uh, saying some are and some are just the natural outworking of our own abilities, and that that has... And I think that view of equality really can hamper liberty. It can really undermine achievement. And so you get someone like Justice Clarence Thomas on the current Supreme Court who is really frustrated by affirmative action because he says, I've never been given full credit or believed to be as good at my job as, as I am because everyone has said, well, you got there because of preferences when he believed he was very capable of doing so anyway. So I, I think there's a tension because that form of equality undermines liberty. It tends to uh, stop people from trying to achieve. It tends to stop people from being distinguished. And I think that's the problem with, as you said, the, the, the form of, of, of equity that is argued there. And so what you're going to be seeing is some people saying the law should, in the name of equity, treat people differently on the basis of race to try to balance out these other factors that they think are unjust or illegitimate. Whereas you're going to see the other side, including Justice Thomas saying, whatever is going on in society, um, we should have a colorblind constitution, which doesn't mean that people shouldn't be celebrating their heritages and their backgrounds, but that before the law, the law should only see you as a human. And as a human, it should treat you. And then we can let the other things play out in the other elements of society. And so both really, I think, do have a, a I'll give them all the benefit of the doubt, a, a, a pure intention uh, trying to achieve a kind of justice in relation to humanity, but very different uh, view of what the Constitution's role should be in that, very different view of what the societal factors are going on, and even what is the relationship between liberty and equality. I think, um, as you rightly point out, Justice Clarence Thomas on this tension is going to be really important to listen listen to and maybe hear historically what he has said on these points. I also think that watching uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson in contemporary terms on this issue, because I suspect she is going to um, approach this differently um, and from a different worldview than he does. So, I mean, you know, I, it is not lost on me that the president of the United States was committed first to the next Supreme court justice being a black woman, like that sounds like affirmative action. And so um, I do think this is a, a real and live conversation for those who are on the court. Um, in addition to, you know, the culture writ large, So it's going to be a really interesting uh, term for the Supreme court. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington here in just a moment. What's going on with that whole student debt relief um, scheme plan, what, what, whatever we're calling it now. 
Um, we're going to talk about uh, how student debt relief promised by the president is now sort of unfolding in the courts. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. The president of the United States uh, campaigned uh, in part on a promise to relieve the burden of student debt. Um, That has happened through an executive order. Dr. Adam Carrington is going to bring us up to date on the status of it. Adam, what's going on with student debt relief? Remind us sort of the the numbers we're talking about in addition to um, what's actually playing out. There could be as many as, uh, uh, I think, 40 million people affected by this because so many people do have student debt. And it, and, and debt that is um, through the government, through government loans, are going to be affected. So that's why the president could make this cancellation, or at least the government could make this cancellation. And obviously, that is a crushing debt for many people. Um, and has become sort of a bubble that many people are worrying is going to pop economically as well. And so he uh, uh, ran on, as you said, canceling it. And two of the updates on this, because we're far from getting to the point where this program is going to be put into place, uh, one is the, uh, um, the Biden administration quietly changed some of the rules about who is eligible. So now those who took private loans out that were backed by the government are no longer eligible, which dropped about a million people from eligibility and uh, reduced the amount of relief about another million and a half people could get. So that's an interesting point. I think uh, the Biden administration may be worried about some of the costs that could attend this. The, the, The bill may have been bigger than they anticipated. The other is legal, as you mentioned. And there are several lawsuits working their way through the court system. Uh, one ran into a snag that, I, that was is kind of technical, where the litigant couldn't really prove that he had been harmed. You have to prove that you've been harmed to be able to sue uh, uh, and say that you have a right to be in court. But some one of these lawsuits is going to get through, and really it is coming down legally to the question of... Um, this was a massive change in the policy of the government of the United States done solely by the president of the United States. And is there any legal support for it? Can he really find statutes that were passed by the people's lawmaking branch to to make this move? I, I think it's pretty hard to make that case, but 
that's going to be made in court. Is Has the executive branch overstepped and started making laws rather than merely carrying them out? And of course, what I think a lot of people that aren't just um, looking at the law are, are worried about is the fairness of this. On one hand, you do have uh, the worry that some of these loan programs can be predatory or uh, uh, maybe hide some of the truths about what the, the, the students are doing and taking out the money. But on the other hand, this <clears throat> where who is going to pay the burden of this debt cancellation? It's going to be taxpayers, uh, many of whom are, are, are you know didn't do anything wrong themselves and are struggling to make ends meet in a high inflation environment. So <clears throat> this question of justice, uh, we were talking about justice regarding race last segment. This is, I think, a question of, of how do you do justice given the circumstance as well. And, and I think that's going to be part of the debate in addition to the legal and, and technical issues that I was talking about first. Are you, um, are you following at all the, I don't know, 885 people who've now been charged with offenses um, related to the events of January 6, 2021 at the U.S. Capitol? I, I have been not. I can't say I've read all 885, but yes, well, I've been. Yeah. I've been looking at. Uh, I, I have been trying to keep uh, basic tabs on how how that litigation has been playing out. Yes. So, can you give us a sense of that? Because we haven't talked about it in a while here on air, and I was surprised by the number. 885 people is a lot of people, and the variety of offenses offenses is really, um, really broad. Can you just, you know, I don't know, put our feet on the ground in relationship to this today? Uh, yeah, and and, and there. And what they've and what they've been trying uh, honestly to do is there there are a lot of problems obviously when January sixth happened of of the particular laws that were broken and so that's why uh, you you sometimes wonder when someone gets charged with like a fifteen or twenty counts of 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 um of uh, uh, felonies or misdemeanors or whatever else they are when they did one or two things. Well, one or two actions can break all sorts of laws. And to uh, go uh, um, into the Capitol and some people used violence against officers there and, and did other things, you know, there, there were a lot of different laws that were violated. And I, I think what you're seeing here is um, an attempt uh, to bring uh, a, a number of these people to justice. And what's interesting is the wide variety. I mean, no one is getting 20 years to life for this. It's a lot of smaller sentences, a lot of six months or a few years. Um, but uh, what, what it is really trying to do is show the muscle of the law as far as protecting the property of the United States against um you know the, the these these kind of actions that are not meant to be peaceful or law abiding, but to go <clears throat> go in the opposite direction. So, the reason I think you're seeing so many of them is I think uh, less political. I, I'm not saying there's nothing political going on in this, but I think it's more the concern of uh, uh, making it so that uh, that when people are trying to air their disagreements about elections or about politics, that this is not. Um, the, this doesn't become a normalized way of doing so. And I think that's why you've seen, even though a lot of the prosecutions aren't for long periods of time, why they're so wide and broad, it is really trying to, to, to make, that, make that point and try to say that um, we need to really be settling these disagreements in the political process and, and make sure that that happens in the future.
So some 396 people have been federally charged and have entered guilty pleas. So that's a lot of folks. And um, Adam, just just remind us for those of us who, you know, we don't pay very close attention necessarily to some things. If you um, if you have a felony conviction, um, I mean, if you pled guilty, you know, you then now you have a felony conviction. I mean, some of these things are working themselves out in court, but a lot of folks are either pleading, you know, pleading down or um, or pleading out. Um are you barred from voting in the future? It depends upon the state. So states set election laws, and in a lot of states, it does bar you from voting. And uh, I know Florida just changed that, for example. They had a ballot initiative to change <coughs> that that past record. But uh, yes, uh, I would have to double check how many states that still is the case, but a number of states you, you lose uh, the privilege of voting. Uh, it does make getting jobs and employment harder if you check the box that you've been convicted of a felony. So while uh, you're, you're right to point out that while I was saying maybe j- jail time or fines or things may not be exorbitant, there are longstanding repercussions on this. And it is interesting, uh, the, the losing the vote, that I think that these efforts were an attempt to do something other than voting to um, or even against voting at certain points to affect the political process. And then in doing so, you actually lose the, the, the fundamental way that you can influence the political process, which is your vote. And so um, uh, there, there's a bit of a, a dark irony there. But yes, yes, in a lot of states, that still is the case that you lose it. But it depends upon the state of, in which they're living. Yeah, and just a you know, just another note on that. I, I'm aware that um, in some places you can't even volunteer at your child's school if you have uh, a felony criminal record. Like there, it's an interesting. There's going to be interesting conversations that um, that flow from this that are not just related to whether or not somebody um, was charged with or convicted of a crime related to January 6th. So I think there's just going to be a lot of conversations um, coming out of this in the future. Adam, as always, um, thank you so much for joining us. What a blessing. We're so happy to be with you, and and thanks for having me all these years. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's Dr. Adam Carrington. You can find him at Hillsdale College. He tweets at Carrington AM. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. one quick update here um and that's on ukraine um ukraine has applied for a fast track in nato membership nine nato leaders have issued a statement denouncing russia's annexation of ukraine and russian soldiers have retreated from lyman um after uh being encircled by ukrainian forces and so we simply want to keep our eye on what's happening in ukraine for those of you who've been praying for my family and the possibility of of our hosting a ukrainian family here They are in Moldova, but we are not going to be their U.S. sponsors. And so thank you for your prayers related to that. I'm so thankful that um, they are getting out of Ukraine and coming to the United States, even if not to our home. We got another hour up next of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.